1: Hello and welcome to Podcasting Smarter. This is Nora Jean Belenke, Podbean's Head of Events. And in today's episode, we'll be having a conversation with Laura Joyce Davis on how to get into podcasting, skills learned along the way, what she's done with those skills, and so much more. Laura is a lecturer and managing editor at the Stanford Storytelling Project, executive producer and host of Shelter in Place, and CEO and co-founder of Narrative Podcasts. Stay tuned, and here we go.
0: Hi, Laura. How's it going? It's going great. I'm so glad to be talking to you, Norma Jean. We've been talking about this conversation for a long time.
1: Yes. I'm so excited to dive in and share your journey and skills learned along the way and expertise with podcasting smarter listeners and everyone here at Podbean. So first of all, tell us a little bit about Shelter in Place and the Stanford Storytelling Project for everybody who may not be familiar.
0: Yeah, so like so many people in this industry, my podcasting journey really started with a pandemic, and in my case, it was day one of the pandemic, and I had had a very hard day home with my three young children, and I went for a bike ride to try to get away from them for a few minutes when my husband got home from what would end up uh, being his last day at the office. And as I was out on this bike ride in the Oakland Hills where I live, I suddenly got this idea, and it was kind of one of those, you know, struck by lightning type ideas where you recognize that it's something special. And the idea was this, that I would start a daily narrative podcast called Shelter in Place, and it would be sort of a personal essay memoir podcast, which I would do Monday through Saturday, and I thought, I'll do this for a couple of weeks until life goes back to normal, You know, it was very much a project of the moment. I did not think beyond those two weeks. And I thought this will be my creative lifeline to help me cope with my three kids being home with me 24-7. To be honest, I didn't really think about who would listen or long-term things. and You know, none of that was really on the table at that point. I figured, you know, I've been a fiction writer before that for 20-plus years, and I figured I could write, record, and publish an episode in about an hour a day. And of course, you know, I laugh at that now because I was incredibly naive about how much time (laughs) it takes to publish any podcast episode, let alone a narrative one, which is what I ended up doing for Shelter in Place. And of course, what I really couldn't have known was that in deciding to do that podcast, I would change my life forever. So fast forward to today, uh, Shelter in Place has 200 episodes, 100 of those or include interviews with people. And as you mentioned, I'm teaching at Stanford. My husband and I have become entrepreneurs and business owners together. And we started a training program that has now grown into an online course. And now today we teach students from all over the world how to make narrative episodes like the here on Shelter in Place. Amazing. And before the pandemic, were you a podcaster? Not really. I mean, I I, I, <laughs> I I, don't want to say no completely because I was just learning about it in the year before the pandemic, and I was very lucky in that early on in my podcast journey, so about a year before I started Shelter-in-Place... I had another idea for a podcast. I had a friend, actually, like a high school classmate, and she and I kind of had a phone conversation. and she gave me some great advice along with a few other friends of mine who had podcasts. And so that, you know, I learned just enough to know how to record an episode. I mean, that was that was about all I knew. And so in that year before I was learning about podcasting, I, did actually make a pilot episode of that other podcast, which never ended up making it out into the world. And because I have this contact, Veronica Taylor, she told me, you know, you should really submit this thing for WNYC's Podcast Accelerator Contest. You should go to this conference, work it, which is a women podcast conference that I don't think they've done since, but it was wonderful. And so that's what I did. And that, that I ended up being a finalist for that contest And But, you know, even that, like, I'm very proud of that early work, but I also, I paid somebody to edit the audio. I didn't, I was very intimidated by all of those parts of podcasting. And so it really wasn't until Shelter in Place that I learned the audio side of things and really about podcast production and learning it from the inside, right? I mean, that's the thing about, it was 100 daily episodes, first four months. Uh, We switched to weekly after that, but doing something day in and day out with no lead time ever, you just have to learn really, really fast. And so I did. I got my hands on everything I could from you know places like Air Media and Transom and you know there's so many good resources out there, a lot of free resources. And so I just I just dove into as many of those as I could in that time and you know just just learn by doing really. But I was a fiction writer for 20 years before that. So, you know, that's my education and training. I have an MFA in fiction. And so I think my storytelling approach to podcasting really came first from fiction. And, you know, then I I never could have imagined that I would do a memoir podcast. But, you know, life surprises you in all sorts of ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what skills did you use from, you know, having that MFA and, you know, that big fiction writing background how did those skills carry over into podcasting?
0: I think there's a couple of really practical ways that it carried over, one of which was just sort of like the bread and butter of how to tell a great story. And, you know, if you pick up a novel, especially in today's publishing climate, if you pick up a novel or a short story or really any kind of writing, you have to hook people pretty quickly if they're going to keep reading. And I learned that first in in fiction. You know, I learned that every story has to have conflict. It has to have rich and interesting characters that, you know, hopefully develop over the course of your story. Um, there needs to be some sort of narrative arc. There needs to be setting, you know, rich details that bring that setting to life for you. And then, of course, there has to be some sort of resolution to the conflict. It doesn't have to be neat and tidy, but you know, some way that the world opens up to a little more because of this story. And I think doing that in fiction over and over and over and over again, and not just writing that way, you know, as I've been trained to in my MFA, but then having to put it out there to agents and, you know, editors of literary journals, you realize very quickly that with an agent or an editor, you know, you get a paragraph, a page, maybe five pages at most before they're going to put it down and move on to the next submission. Many of these agents and editors get hundreds of submissions every single week. And so they just don't have time to read the whole thing. And I think that was great practice for podcasting because, you know, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with the idea that we have maybe two minutes, that first two minutes of the episode to really Hook and engage and invite people to listen and keep listening. And so there's a lot of work that has to be done up front. And then, of course, hopefully your work delivers on that promise that's being made yeah. in the first couple of minutes. But I think that was huge for me. And then, you know, I said there are two things. I think the second thing is patience. Um, yeah. there's, you know, like, <laughs> and, and that may be surprising because podcasting is it's such an immediate medium. But I think that I learned first as a writer. That really good work comes from just showing up and developing the discipline of that craft day after day after day. And you're not going to be amazing right off the bat. Like, you're going to probably not be very good in the beginning. And, you know, I know, like, I was just listening to your episode with Naomi Meller, who is a great friend of mine, and I love what she said about how bad she was in the beginning. You know, I I have early episodes of Shelter in Place that I, I almost want to take down because... You know, I just, I'm like, ah, it was yeah. so bad. But, but you know, I keep it up for posterity's sake and to remind myself that, and, and other people too, that it's a process and we learn and grow by continuing to show up and do the work. And, you know, things like whether it's the quality of the work or who's listening or whether or not your show gets awards, you know, all of those things we've seen a, a huge amount of growth with but it didn't happen right away. It was very much a process of just showing up day after day, continuing to be really committed to doing great work and trying to put something out into the world that hopefully could be a gift to others.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I really love what you said about patience because it's about patience with yourself, right? (laughs) Patience for your journey you know, and especially that episode with Naomi. And if you ask really any podcaster, and we do talk about this a lot at Podbean, if you ask any podcaster to go back and listen to their first episode, they're like, "No, no,
0: please don't make me." Right? So, it's about, <laughs> yeah. For me, it's number two. Like episode one, I'm okay, but number two, I'm like, oh, the the, the sophomore sophomore slump. You know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. But it's it's just about you know knowing where you've come from and and being where you are in the moment. And so many podcasters, I think, have that similar experience, but having that patience with yourself to be a novice and to put the work out anyways and to grow and learn with your show is so important. It's just really incredible. I love the, the way that you phrase that. And once you got you know, on the upskill journey with podcasting, what skills did you
0: learn? I mean, really everything. I think in the beginning, it was about synthesizing the stuff that i learned as a fiction writer, and applying that to a more kind of memoir, personal essay style of episodes, which you know, especially those early episodes. In the beginning, it was just me. Kind of, I, I would essentially write a personal essay every day about whatever was going on in my life that day. Which a lot was going on in the world at that time. You know, this is those early weeks we all remember, not right. just the, the pandemic, the but George Floyd and yeah. all of that stuff, right? Yeah, twenty twenty, um, and then when that started to incorporate interviews. Then that was sort of a new skill set of, okay, how do I take what I know from interviews that I've done in the past that, you know, historically had just been for writing for research purposes, which I had done some of, and I'd done some for this other podcast too, but really learning how to be a good interviewer. And then I think the next step after that was audio editing and, you know, learning my way around a DAW and understanding how to use that both to edit out, you know, my own mistakes and also to really craft an episode that could be a narrative, you know, that would have a narrative arc. So even in my interviews and I you know, it's funny I think now looking back I think this was the fiction writer coming out. I didn't know the term narrative podcast that was not something that was in my vocabulary, but I I very naturally went to that even with interviews. So the episodes that included those early interviews in season 1 I didn't do them, you know, in a traditional interview style where I, you know, press record and then you hear the whole interview and, you know, maybe some edits in there. It was very much in this frame of a narrative arc of kind of weaving together my own story and the, the story of the person that I was talking to, sometimes more than one person. And I think, you know, I I I a lot of what I learned in that first season was almost like I was dipping into these instincts that I had as a fiction writer and only later going back and saying, oh, there's vocabulary for that. I can now talk about what was going on there. But at the time I was just doing what felt like needed to be done and trying to move as fast as I could and, and learn as quickly as I could. And then toward the end of season one, I started really getting into sound design and I have a long history as a musician but it was the first time in my life that I'd really pulled those two parts of myself—of being a pod, you know a writer and a musician—and now a podcaster—together. And so it really, by the time I got to season two, which was um, I took a little break in that first summer of 2020, and then a few a few months later, came back with season two as weekly episodes. Those episodes in season two, you know, they're much more sound rich. I was playing and experimenting a lot with sound design. And also with just, you know, the the narrative episode style, really getting more grounded and comfortable. And, you know, you can hear me learn from season one to season three, you know, all the way through that 200th episode. I just kept learning because I was doing the work and it called for it. And you know, yeah. I didn't go on planning for that. It just kind of, it was like life presented me with some challenging circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I tried to, you know, see an opportunity in there to learn and grow. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, to to try to put something out into the world that would hopefully be helpful to other people who were struggling during those very difficult years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody out there, just really quickly, a DAW or a DAW yeah. is a digital audio <laughs> workspace. So it's a program that you would use to edit and and, you know, work on the audio once you've recorded it. And I think it's so incredible the way that, you know, you kind of just went for it. And I think that's what's so great about podcasting, right? Everybody has a story and everybody has the medium and the platform now to tell it. Um, Absolutely. And in terms of those skills, like, how did you teach yourself? Like, did you watch YouTube tutorials? Like, how did you gain the knowledge to, you know, find the the program that works for you in terms of editing to find the right mics to work on i mean you know you have the writing background but in terms of some of that narrative audio storytelling and sound design what were some of the ways that you taught yourself
0: about yeah i i definitely did some youtube videos i mean to be honest i remember feeling a little overwhelmed by youtube there was just so much out there that i didn't know where to begin <laughs> I did have a friend who was a musician and who'd introduced me to Logic Pro X, which I now I work in Hindenburg, but in the beginning, I think for about 125 episodes, I was working in Logic and I'm really grateful actually to have worked in, in like two different programs and really understand two different programs. But he, um, I actually just like in the beginning asked him if, if he could just spend an hour with me walking through some of those, you know, the kind of basic things i needed to know for recording. That was actually pretty i mean i think that might have been like february of 2020. So i had just kind of learned enough to be able to open up logic, get my mic set up, you know, i had my presets and yeah, he helped me set that up and i could record. But then it was it was taking it from there and i think air media like they had some webinars early in the pandemic that were huge and and all of those categories you mentioned. I think sound design for sure, audio editing. I remember attending something with an audio engineer that was way over my head, but super, super helpful in terms of just hearing somebody talk about what was going on in a DAW and under and hearing like, oh, this is the term for this thing. This is this thing that I was just calling, you know, the little dots on the screen is like animation, you know, having... Right. Having There's official tabular. terms. And I exactly. think once you, once
1: you find a, a dot or an editing program that you want to work with in terms of production for audio, there are so many resources out there. So exactly. you really can just geek out. It's just about finding exactly. that right program for you. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And that was a surprise for me, actually. I, I was so intimidated by audio editing going in. But I actually found like I love audio editing. Like I, I really can geek out about it and have such a fun time with it. Especially you know once you get into sound design and all of that stuff. So I've, I think Air Media was huge. Transom was huge. Where else did I look in those early? I, I, you know, Radio. The There's a Google group that I think you're a part of too. It's women and marginalized genders and radio um it's this google group that i'm a part of i mean that was huge it's just posting stuff on there and wonderful people in the industry being so generous with pointing me toward resources or in some cases you know answering specific questions or getting on the phone with me i mean i i met so many people in those early days of putting out the podcast who just responded to an email that i put out to the group and I will, you know, some of them are dear friends today. I I will forever be grateful to all of the people who were just so kind and warm and welcoming and, you know, inviting me into the industry.
1: Absolutely. Podcasting really is a community in that way. And now you teach podcasting. So once you started teaching, what additional skills did you learn or learn weren't necessary? Like, I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, like you have to know everything. Yeah. Um, and you've been teaching for a while we'll get into that um in a bit but you know what did you th- what did you learn kind of was essential that maybe is overlooked or minimized and then what what really isn't necessary
0: i think if i'd have to say one essential thing i would say it's the ability to adapt and i say that because i've i've watched myself in this process constantly adapt and i've also had at this point, you know, trainees and students and, you know, now students in the, in the university setting as well. And it's very interesting to see that the people who can adapt and face a challenging situation and figure out how to problem solve, you know, which some people are really naturally gifted at that. And then some people that's just like not going to ever be their thing and probably they should be in a different job. But I found the people who can adapt, They thrive in this industry. And I think part of that is it's just such a rapidly changing industry that, you know, you talk to somebody a year ago or two years ago or five years ago, and the way that things are, you know, the way that production is being done even has changed to some degree. I mean, I remember in maybe 80 episodes in. A podcaster friend of mine that I would met at Workit, um, another WMYC uh, finalist that has become a good friend. He said, "Laura, you've got to you got to hear about Descript. It's going to change your life. It'll change the way you're doing your episodes." And sure enough, you know, since then, that's now part of my podcast production process, and it's changed gradually over time the way that I do things, and I've gotten you know more efficient as I've learned as I've learned that stuff. And so I try to pass that on to my students of like hey there are a lot of different ways to approach the same problem and if you face a problem to try to see that not as a reason to be discouraged or defeated but see it as a learning opportunity like this is a chance for you to become a beginner at something and have that beginner's mindset which I feel like has just been huge for me in this in this whole process and you know see it as an opportunity to grow and Get better at something, and hopefully, you're always getting better and adapting. And then you were asking about. You said, "You said, what's the? Yeah, what's, what's something what's, that you?
1: What's something that you
0: learned wasn't necessary? Yeah, something that's not necessary. I don't think it's necessary to be an expert going into this. I think you can come in knowing nothing." And learn a lot really, really fast, especially if you have good teaching and, you know, good mentors and people who can guide you through that. And, you know, I've worked with people who had a lot of experience and then people who have no experience. And, you know, I mean, especially when we were doing our training intensive, been able to get the same outcome for both of those groups of, you know being able to go get jobs in audio and really learn from the inside how to do this narrative thing and i think that it's one of the things that i love so much about this industry is that you don't you don't have to go get you know a masters degree in podcast you know i mean there now are starting to be those out there but you don't have to go to school for this you can that's wonderful if you have that opportunity but i think that there's a way that can invite people who wouldn't have that opportunity to learn something like this. I mean, I, I constantly think about it in terms of the publishing world and what I've seen happen You know, over the last 30 years of that. It's become this thing where it's a real scarcity mindset. There are fewer and fewer spots for books to be published and authors to get out there. And so it's just really, really tough if you're trying to get a book published. And I love about podcasting that. There's kind of this great equalizer, in anybody can have a podcast. You know? Yeah, it's like and, and the
1: audience really <laughs> dictates who gets who gets that success. You know, if there's it's something a like meritocracy super, in it that totally, way,
0: yeah. And and it's like so grassroots. I mean, I know now we have big production companies, and I know there's that whole conversation too. But I still think the fact that you can produce something quite high quality you know, that can get run on NPR and picked up from places like PRX. Like, that's so cool. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've watched that happen for so many people in this industry. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing, I think, that the gatekeepers are not there in the same way that they are, you know, in some of the other media industries like, you know, book publishing or television or, you know, I'm sure we could think of others as well. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. So now you teach at Stanford, which is kind of huge, you know, with a university that has that kind of caveat and, you know, is known for excellence in that way. So what do they teach at Stanford that independent podcasters may not know or, you know, that may be intimidated by?
0: Yeah, well, I have to say this program is pretty special and I don't know you know, what other universities with podcast programs and storytelling programs would be like because I haven't experienced them. But I immediately knew that this job was right for me because their approach to podcasting, it's about so much more than the product that you put out. And, you know, so while there is a huge emphasis in teaching people how to be great storytellers, there's an even bigger emphasis in developing people and in really helping them understand that the creative process is, you know, it's it's not just about the thing we make, it's about who we become. And I saw that immediately in the job description when I saw it posted this past summer. And it, it was a pretty uncanny experience i've never had this experience before of reading a job description and being like it's like they looked at the last two and a half years of my life and made a job that was exactly me and every experience i've had in that time and you know i can say that has proven to be very true of just how good of a fit it's been um so i feel very very lucky I, you know i don't think many people get to have that experience ever in their life of being in a place that just feels like such a perfect fit to their own passions and experiences. But so I would say that's the first thing is it's really, you know, there's a lot of time spent mentoring students and really, you know, one-on-one and in small group settings and really helping them understand from the inside not just the nuts and bolts of podcasting, which that's there too, but really how to tell a great story and how to tell their own story if they want to and and how that act of witnessing other people's stories can be life changing, and you know, there's a lot of um, I think I think maybe one thing that's different than what indie podcasters would think of when they you know are sort of learning or being self taught or whatever they are is maybe some of the theory you know like narrative theory and really breaking down the architecture of stories you know things like understanding what makes up a narrative arc like how do you get from the beginning to the middle to the end in a way that's engaging and compelling and it's been it's been really fun for me actually you know i'm i'm just a few months into the job now i started september 1st and it feels in many ways like coming full circle i mean there's a lot in the courses that i'm teaching Uh, At Stanford, that I'm pulling from the course my husband and I teach online at Narrative Podcasts, and you know, there's so much that's in alignment in the way that we approach story. But then it's also kind of this wonderful full circle of you know the stuff I learned about fiction writing as an MFA student. You know, this has now been like almost twenty years ago, and the things that I've learned since then from different writing writer teachers of mine. I think when I came to podcasting. That narrative theory, that sort of more academic side of things, I knew those things, but I, I had it had been so long since I studied them that I was doing them sort of intuitively, and so now I'm, you know, it's again that process of coming back and having vocabulary for something and saying, oh yeah, okay, this yeah, and thing re- remembering that, the steps, yeah, exactly, right. And there's something really magical about just understanding the process in that deep of a level and and being able to look at any episode you encounter and say, okay, this is what's happening here. And I can actually draw this out. And we do this a lot at Stanford where we'll actually map out episodes so that students can see like, okay, every narrative arc has this series of scenes and reflections. And there's kind of like this meaning making that's going on to say, why does that scene matter? Okay, here's why it matters. Okay, now here's the next scene. And now let's understand that. And that these scenes build toward, you know, like a climactic moment, hopefully, and then there's a resolution. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's just been a lot of fun to be able to feel like these different areas of my brain and education are coming together um, at this point in my life that, you know, in a way that I never could have predicted. I mean, i if you had asked me even six months ago or a year ago, if I would be, you know, doing this now, I, I couldn't have imagined it. But it's been a real delight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, you know, what you're teaching at one of the top universities in the world isn't something that people can't learn, right? Exactly. It's, there's no gatekeeping, I think, in podcasting. Exactly. And that's what's so great about it, Right. And so, you know, people who are going through a program, literally the Stanford Storytelling Project, they're learning skills that podcasters can learn on our own in groups through community. And that kind of takes me to my next question. How big a factor did community play in your podcasting journey as both a podcaster and now as someone who teaches
0: about podcasting? I think it was everything. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, do, I I really, I think it was. I, I think this whole thing never would have happened without, you know, not just one community, but many. I mean, I mentioned the podcasting industry. You know, I now have some of my closest friends are people that I met in those early days of shelter in place who, you know, really were guides for me in the early, early days that I was doing it. And, you know, now today, like, I know, you know, Stevie Manns, one of my former students, is like one of my friends who we exchange messages on WhatsApp, you know, probably once a week. And, you know, and everything in between. I, I so many people in this industry who have just been so incredibly kind and have sort of been there in it with me at the, you know, often very, very challenging changes and adjustments that all of us were dealing with the last few years here. And You know, I mean, there's a there's a whole backstory that we haven't talked about yet, which you know I think is maybe worth just briefly mentioning, which is you know when when I started shelter in place, I not only didn't know where this was going to end in me up vocationally and lead me vocationally, but I didn't know that my life, you know, my family life was essentially going to implode very quickly in that time and. You know, like many people in the pandemic, we lost, my husband lost his job two weeks in. And, you know, it, we had a whole cross country move and back again and trying to get support from family um, on the East Coast. And there, you know, and I, I tell that story in Shelter in Place for people who are interested, but there was just a lot of feeling like the rug of life was being pulled out from underneath us almost constantly. And then just having to adjust, having to adapt. And, I wouldn't have made it through any of that without some really incredible friends who were just there for me and, you know, helped me help pick me up when I fell down. And, you know, by the same token, our listeners, we had some really amazing listeners who would reach out to us on a pretty regular basis and tell us they were listening and tell, you know, tell us how much it meant to them that we were continuing to make these episodes And just, you know, also the community of people that I've interviewed now. I mean, that's a hundred amazing people that I didn't know mostly before this work that now are just very dear to me and that I've, you know, it's such a gift to be able to have a little bit of life that you share with somebody, even just for, you know, a 30-minute episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's so beautifully put. I want to also, because you you also have narrative podcasts, which is it's interesting because you went from learning about podcasting to teaching podcasting to teaching podcasting at Stanford. <laughs> is,
0: I know. I know. If it's such you a told fun me, journey. Believe me.
1: It's really <laughs> such a fun journey. But for, for beginners and people just getting into podcasting who want to have a successful podcast, who, you know, like you with Shelter in Place are kind of struck by lightning by that idea. Yeah. What are some tips and best practices you have for people who just want to make a successful podcast and who are just starting that journey?
0: Yeah, well, I I think of this sort of in two categories. One is like on what's going on functionally on a story level. And then the other is just sort of how you approach this. So I'll talk about the story level first. I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, those first two minutes, you know, you have a couple of minutes to set things up and let your listeners know what's at stake, what's the context, what's, what's sort of the promise or the gift of this episode. I mean, I think there are a lot of different ways to think about it. And so I often just tell people, you know, and this is in our course too, and I I tell my Stanford students this as well, you know, if you really think about the four kind of key elements of story of conflict, character, setting, and resolution, and you break it down to, and even, you know, this isn't just for narrative, obviously narrative, that's really key, but even in something like an interview episode, you know, like what you and I are doing right now, I think that if you can think about that moment that was really surprising in the conversation or those things that your character set, you know, it, your guest is a character and you as a host, you're a character. And so what are the things that they say that are unique to them that you can sort of bring to the surface? And, you know, even as an interviewer, prompting somebody to speak in scenes, that's a big one. You know, I think there's a lot of things that we can do, even if we're brand new to this. And just thinking about the kinds of questions you ask in an interview, if, you know, it's a lot more interesting if, you know, you if, you if you say, hey, Laura, you know, how did you start your podcast? You know, I could say, oh, well, you know, I just, I started it in the pandemic and here I am today. And that's a very quick summary, but it's not very interesting. But if you bring, you know, if we start to talk about that in scene and I say, well, you know, I had this horrible day with my kids. My husband took one look at me. Said like, you need to get out of the house. Why don't you go for a bike ride? And, you know, I'm biking up into the Oakland hills at magic hour and everybody's out. And I feel this huge weight on my shoulders of life that is both suddenly life in the pandemic and also this struggle of identity that I have been living with for eight years as a parent of three kids who finds a lot more fulfillment in writing than in parenting and feeling guilty about that, you know, and you can go on from there. So I think just thinking about conflict, character, setting, resolution, like if you can name what those four things are in any episode, that will give you the building blocks for how to tell a good story and then thinking about how to unpack those things in scenes. So yeah. the second thing um, is, I would say that, you know, is more of like a life approach thing. I would say that the best gift you can give your listeners. I mean, it's great if you're a great storyteller. That helps. But really, the best gift you can give your listeners is you. Like whatever, you know, if if you're hosting a podcast, if you're or if you're not hosting and you're writing episodes that somebody else is hosting, there's something unique that you bring to the table. And it doesn't have to be massive. Like it could just be, the way that you talk or the way that you write or you know the way that when you speak you really know how to make people feel like you're talking right to them and like it's just the two of you in a room you know they can almost imagine you sitting there with them over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee i mean these are all things that we kind of unconsciously bring to the table as podcasters but a lot of people don't realize like that's a skill that's a gift and figuring out what your gift is and really trying to like embrace that and not not try to be Ira Glass or you know somebody else, but being you. Yeah. I think like that was something podcasting did for me that I didn't even know until, you know, probably a couple of weeks in and many episodes, where it suddenly clicked for me like, oh, I think this is what it means to find your voice. You know, in the writing world, we talk a lot about finding your voice, and it's like this elusive term of like, what the heck does that even mean? (laughs) And I think now, you know, I I think it means that when I write, when I speak, you know, when those things come together in -in shelter-in-place episodes or whatever, you know, even this conversation, like there's a way that I show up in that that is, it's me. Like nobody else sounds exactly like me. And so I can either hide that and try to be something I'm not, which will be inauthentic. And listeners are, you know, they have really good BS detectors. They can tell immediately if you're faking it. Or you can like really try to just say, yep, this is who I am. Not everybody is gonna love that. That's okay. Like that's part of it, is my people are gonna find me and they're gonna appreciate me. And then the people who don't, like that's okay. There's, you know, not everybody.
1: Yeah, there's a podcast for everybody out there. There's a podcast for everybody.
0: That is the beauty of it,
1: right? absolutely absolutely and you know i love that you said that in terms of finding your unique voice and and really amplifying it and moving it to the center of the work that you do i think that that's really important and a lot of podcasters out there you know can feel intimidated right because yeah. they're not ivory glass you know exactly. or they or you know they don't have a you know a vocal signature that the public is already familiar with and so i think it's it's important to understand that is where your power is absolutely and I, you know, I think that you have such a unique way of of expressing these things, and you know, you you really started narrative podcast, which is your program that teaches people how to podcast. <laughs> which, yeah. which is not through Stanford. It's it's a company that you created, and I like to talk with our podcast entrepreneur guests about kind of the business of podcasting and having uh, a podcast service business, and how you learned what to charge
0: <laughs> oh, because i think it's that that's so hard it's such an
1: interesting aspect of yeah, podcasting because there's is. there's value in different offerings right whether you're an editor whether you're helping people learn about podcasting whether you're creating graphics whether you're writing show notes you know whatever podcast service you're providing it's interesting to hear from podcast entrepreneurs and podcast service providers about how they, you know, came up with the number that resonated with them and and helped their business be successful. So can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean I will say like it's a journey I'm still on. I think it's <laughs> yeah. it's something I, you know, I didn't come into this with like an MBA. So and I certainly didn't think I was ever going to be an entrepreneur when I started shelter in place like it was just, you know, it was all about creativity and you know, my husband, who's my business partner, is has a background as a writer, is a different kind of writer, but, you know, he came from the advertising, copywriting side of things. And so both of us have had to learn those skills, you know, again, very quickly. And I think we've, you know, we've probably learned the most by, like, mistakes that we've made and just not knowing how much to charge a lot of times. Or, you know, I think our, for both of us, our tendency is probably to always undercharge and... You know, if, if we'd had some business training going in, I think, you know, we maybe would have been profitable much more quickly. But I think, I mean, I don't, I don't regret it though. I think it's, you know, you have to see these things as an opportunity to grow and learn and the mistakes, especially, right? Like the mistakes, I think they stick with us a lot more than when we just happen to make the right decision right off the bat. So I will say, you know, I think it's been an evolution for us. So, in the beginning, you know, it was just shelter in place, the podcast, and you know, we've we've had some ad support here and there and all that. but i, I that I've never seen that as like, oh, we're going to make money off shelter in place. It's always very much been a labor of love, you know, all the way through. I think when we started doing our training program, that started to shift the conversation a little bit, but not right away, actually. You know, it was January of 2021 when we started what we now think of as the beta version of our training intensive, but it really kind of started by accident. You know, it was another one of these things like life throws you a situation and you respond and you try to, you know, do the most compassionate, gracious thing you can And the situation at that point was, I was hearing from a lot of women and non-binary folks in the industry that they were very frustrated that they were applying for all these internships and, you know, different like kind of job entry-level opportunities. And these entry-level positions or internships were saying, you need at least five years experience. You need all of these things. And so, you know, these were like, people who'd been at this for six months, a year, I mean, they, they'd they been trying to get into podcasting for longer than I'd been making episodes at that point, some of them. And so it really started in the beginning with a grad school classmate approaching me and saying, hey, I know somebody who wants to get into podcasting, but she doesn't have any experience. Could you please take her on and sort of teach her what you're doing at Shelter in Place? And I thought, okay, yeah, sure. You know, I could probably take one or two people and you know, I have a long history as a running coach. So there's that coaching side of me that I truly love just like bringing people into something that I'm excited about doing. And so I thought, sure, well, you know, we'll do it with two people. And then literally overnight, that grew to six people. And it was really, you know, we didn't ever advertise anything. We weren't thinking about it as an official training program. It was just sort of like, We were going to make these episodes anyway, and if somebody wanted to sort of be along for the ride and learn, great. And then it was really in that shift from two people to six people. I remember it was Christmas break. We were living in Massachusetts at the time. My husband and I kind of had another one of those light bulb moments, you know, sort of struck by lightning moments of feeling like we need to actually approach this with some intention like this is we have six people here who want to learn how to do this let's see if we can put our heads together and figure everything that we've learned in you know at that point was like 125 episodes in less than a year and so that was the beginning of the curriculum that today is you know our narrative podcast labs curriculum the the online course that we teach but we didn't charge for it in the beginning. Like we didn't, we, I just wasn't even, I mean, this is where like, I just didn't have the business brain to even think to charge. It was just like, we're doing this. Sure. Come on in. You can learn. I mean, you know, and, and that's probably like my, maybe one of my flaws as a business owner is like, I am not quick to charge for things. I probably give, you know, way too much away, but I don't know. I, I, it's never been about the money for me. When we did get to the point where we were charging, the first thing we did was we asked the graduates of our program, which at that time there were 11, we'd had two cohorts and we asked them like what, you know, cause they, they actually were saying to us, like, you should charge for this. Like you're giving us huge value. We've all gone on to get jobs in the industry because of this training. You know, some of them were brand new to podcasting and you know, there just been a lot of deep mentorship in that. And, you know, some of those folks are just dear friends still to this day, because it was a really intense, weird time. You know, I think yeah, January, pandemic. 2021, it was like, we were all in our houses. Nobody was going anywhere. And it was, you know, speaking of community, it was a real community that we built there together. So that was, that was the first step is we asked them, what do you think we should charge? Um, I also asked. Every friend in the industry that I had, you know, you know what we're doing. Here's here's our curriculum. What do you think is fair for what we're offering? And for our training intensive, we ended up modeling it off uh, CUNY. They don't have the program anymore, but they used to have a very similar program. And so one of my friends in the industry said, you know, I took this class in CUNY. It sounds a lot like what you're doing, except for I think you're offering even more because you're offering so much one-on-one mentorship. This seems like a fair price point. And then from there, you know, the online course was kind of the next iteration. But I will say like to this day, I know that, you know, our course is a semester long course. It's 16 weeks. People can do it at their own pace if they want to, but it's really designed to be like a pretty intense 16 weeks to give you every single aspect of podcast production for narrative podcasts. And I, you know, I know that like we're undercharging. I know we are. And it's to me, like, I'm okay with that because it's more important to me that more people can do it than that I make a bunch of money off of it. And that, again, that's probably my flaw as a business owner, but I just, it's all, you know, if I have to choose between equity and relationships and helping more people pull up a seat to the table, I am always, always, always going to choose that over personal profit. And you know i think this is this is why i'm not like a billionaire I'm
1: an artist <laughs> <laughs> well, i love what you said you know about about asking everybody you know what is the value of this you've gone through my program yeah. you've worked with us you know asking other people in the industry what's the standard you know what does that look like because as the podcasting industry evolves podcast service providers i think don't have a standard or a base to yeah. Base their prices off of, to base their rates off
0: of, and so and there's such a huge variance. There's such too. a huge
1: disparity as well. And for anybody yeah. out there listening, CUNY is City University of New York, so it's the university system in New York. And so you know, you you really had that parallel, which is very cool. And thank you for sharing that. I think it's something where you know, just having that perspective for everybody out there who is a podcast service provider or is thinking of becoming one, it's helpful to know, you know, where where everybody is in the industry and how we're all just kind of finding our footing in that regard. So I just have a couple of questions left that we like to ask everybody here. Where is the industry headed, in your opinion?
0: Well, I don't think it's slowing down. I mean, I think that's pretty clear, right? It's it's continually expanding. And I I don't think there's anybody right now who's saying that it's not going to continue to grow. I think one of the ways that's most exciting to me that it's growing right now is in places like climate science and this is something that I'm I'm getting to see a little bit at Stanford actually they have a new school that is completely devoted to fighting climate change and the staff at Stanford storytelling project we just had a conversation about this last week where you know there's a lot of folks in that school that is you know a totally different school than where we are si- situated at the university but they're recognizing the value of telling a story about this stuff and being able to talk about it in a way that the general public can understand and so i i'm very very excited about just the possibility and i think you know i think it's going to happen where we're going to see more and more podcasts out there that help everybody like engage in some of these tough issues that are that are hard to understand you know yeah. like there's a lot of this science that it's not lay speak yet for the most part like it's it can feel a little intimidating to understand how to fight something like climate change and how to live in a way that could make a difference and so i personally i mean it's been something that i've been thinking about for a really really long time and um you know when i have a good friend who the podcast inherited. If if anybody is looking for a fabulous climate change podcast that I mean it's it's a couple of years old now, but it's still just like an amazing lesson. It's only four episodes. And I'm really, really excited about more shows coming out that can actually just help us live better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And what are your favorite podcasts to listen to?
0: Well, I'm all over the map. I mean, of course, like I have a bunch of narrative shows that I love. And I'm right now I'm listening to all the things that my students are listening to. So (laughs) there's at Stanford Storytelling Project, like they have a long history with, you know, Radiolab and, uh, you know, uh, Snap Judgment and uh, the Moth and This American Life. And so, you know, and I love all those shows. Like they're, they're really wonderful. I think with interview shows, which I also listen to a lot of. My favorite current one is one that I just had the honor of being on. Um, It's called Snap Sound Judgment. It's like Snap (laughs) Judgment. And she actually just had Glenn Washington as a guest. But Sound Judgment, Elaine Grant is doing a show. It's very like craft, you know, for podcasters kind of show. And her whole focus on this show is how to be a great host. And it's just, it's delightful. Like she just came out with it this, um, I think September was the or the first episodes and there are maybe half a dozen of them now. And they're every single one that I've listened to is, it's, I, I'm just really, really enjoying hearing from all these hosts that I love and that do such great work and, and learning from them.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Well. Laura Joyce Davis, we will have all of your links here in the show notes for everyone who wants to get in touch with you, listen to Shelter in Place, and find out more about the Stanford Storytelling Project.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Norma Jean. This has been so fun.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Podcasting Smarter. If you have any podcasting questions or want to get in touch, send us an email at podcastingsmarter at podbean.com. Thanks so much and happy podcasting.